So let us ask the Lord to bless our time this morning. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we give you praise. We thank you, Lord, that even in our sorry estate, Lord, that you loved us, that you sent your Son, that you have delivered us from our sins. May we humbly live before you, uh, believing in salvation through you alone, the mercies that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, this past uh, Friday, I was... Uh, assisting with the funeral um, here in town. I don't know how many of you remember that there was a young woman at the beginning of the month uh, who was shot and killed uh, over in the Eastport area. Okay, Really kind of a sad set of circumstances. Uh, she was shot and killed. Um, her boyfriend was also shot he's still in the hospital um, but uh, leaving behind a four and a half year old little girl named Ryan so if you want to be praying for Ryan I would encourage you to, to do so um, but as uh, I came into the, the uh, funeral home the uh, Reese funeral home is uh, a funeral home that um, serves our black community primarily, and while we were in there preparing, I was there with uh, Bishop Carroll um, from down the road here, and the police chaplain was there, and he told us that there was, uh, just on Thursday evening, a uh, young man was shot, not killed, but shot in the Robinwood neighborhood, that's off of uh, 665 Bruce Drive there. And if, if you look at things, you see that um, there have been, since the beginning of, since June 1st, there have been uh, 13 shootings. Um, that was through Friday. I don't know of any um, since then. No, this is the city of Annapolis. Um, four of whom were, were killed. Um, I think you know uh, over towards uh, where the Greens live, there's been there's an ongoing dispute between a couple of neighbors that resulted in uh, a number of folks being shot and killed there uh, as part of this group. And I, I bring all this up um, in, in part because uh, I, I as, as I've been studying this passage here in, in Psalm chapter 14 and I look at the um, difficulties um, in our community in particular obviously uh, over by the Greens I think those those folks were not uh, black but for our black brothers and sisters um, you know when you think back just a few generations I think it would be safe to say, I would say generations, let's say, let's use years instead, say 60 years, it, it wouldn't be outside of the mind to say that 80% of the African American community uh, attended church, um, that their families um, were uh, somewhat intact, largely so compared. 
compared to what we have today if you look at the statistics. And uh, if, if you follow Doug Wilson at all, um, I can't remember exactly where he said this, but he's mentioned it a few times. But he's talked about how our country and our society on the whole has um, been living off of the, the um, religious or Christian capital that was built by past generations. And in that, um, you know, we've been like the prodigal son who has squandered the wealth of past Christian generations. And, and I know that there were all, there've always been, since the very first uh, folks coming to the United States from other parts of the world, um, unbelievers, right? I'm, I'm not denying that in any way. Uh, but I would um, simply say to you all um, that, that we have been, as a culture, the prodigal child. And, and obviously we can see it what appears to be at, at the worst, um, that uh, in the minority uh, neighborhoods, uh, the violence is, is that much worse. Um, and so there's a couple of things I'd want to point out. First of all, as it relates to our own children, um, let us pray. Let us um, be sure to teach them the gospel. Let us be sure um, that we teach them about the law and the total depravity of man. Um, I, I can tell you that all throughout the, the Christian church today, there are all kinds of words being uh, taught that are um, not bold-faced, complete lies, but have elements of lies in them. And so, um, for example, here's one I heard this week. Christian critical theory. Okay? Christian critical theory. And so, um, it, it was sort of like when I heard that phrase, I was like, okay, you've got the frying pan, Right? And, and, and the person with the frying pan is simply saying, hey, how about you just step into the pan? Don't worry about it. It's not that hot right now. Don't worry about it. Um, and, you know, there can be no gospel without the law. There can be no recognition of our, our total depravity and our need for forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to Christ. So we need to declare God's truth, declare God's word to one another, to our children, to our neighbors, and their children, especially in the church. And, and in that say, wait a minute, when, when you hear a phrase or you hear a statement, you hear things being said, and if it doesn't seem quite right, Maybe because it's not. Okay. Uh, maybe you can't put your finger on it right then, but step back. If you don't have an answer, go research. Go see what God's Word says. Um, and, and so I want us to, to, to be praying um, for um, our 
church, for each other, uh, for our children and future generations. And, and let me say this, in your teaching of the law, make sure that mercy is one notch higher than justice. That's what my friend Randy Newton. In your house, make sure that mercy is one notch higher than justice. Um, and in that way, we'll be like our Father God, right? Who from the very beginning had a plan of reconciliation for us. The Holy God, even though we were sinners, had a plan of reconciliation uh, for us. And I'm, I'm not trying to start in here with like, oh, you know, lay it on hard. But, but it, it's been weighing on me um, this past uh, week. And I can only imagine in the days to come, um, you know, just more funerals that need to be had um, in that particular uh, community. But also what we have to recognize is what is our state before the holy living triune of God? So with that, let's take a look at uh, Psalm 14. Is there someone that could read the whole psalm? It's really short. Um, read the whole psalm for us. Okay, go ahead. So, um, like many of the psalms, there's three parts uh, to the psalm. Uh, verses 1 through 3, um, as I mentioned early, this, earlier, this is the first description of human depravity, universal. Um, and so as we take a look at this, we'll, we'll see these breaks. Um, that's verses 1 through 3. And verses 4 through 6, um, we see the, the psalmist by the inspiration of the Spirit, um, has a confident anticipation of destructive judgments for, and I, I love this, this word, the incorrigibly wicked. Okay, for those that um, are wicked and want to stay that way. For those who um, do not uh, want to repent. Um, as sure as we're all um, depraved and wicked and sinners, there is a judgment for those who do not repent. And finally, in verse 7, um, there is a confident plea for the deliverance of God's elect. So as, as we look at this, one, one thing we want to remember as we're reading the Psalms that um, 
where we see at the beginning where it says, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. Um, those were written into the scriptures. Um, we should consider that as part of God's word that can be instructive to us. Um, we see that, we know that, that King David was the great psalmist, had a heart after our God, and um, expresses things in, in a way uh, by, by view of the Spirit that strengthens us and gives us instruction. So we see the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Okay, they are corrupt. They have done abominable, abominable works. Excuse me. There is no one who does good. Um, you know, this phrase, there is no God, could be understood as this. No such thing as God. Now, if I say it in that way, how often have we heard that proclaimed around us? There is no such thing as God. Um, and in this way, they, they're immediately, um, that they're corrupt. There's this idea that the fool has said this, right? We know elsewhere the scriptures say what about the fool? Anybody, what's the scripture say about the fool? All kinds of things, right? That's right. Um, and, and but but he's he's saying this in his heart. This is his soul and his mind. It, it's on the interior, all the motives, right, of the heart, right. And and you know, and why why did why does he desire? Why does a person desi desire um, to say there's no such thing as God? Yes. No accountability, meaning what? That's right. That's right. Which brings us back to the garden, right? Right? Where you will be like God. You know, that's the desire of um, so many. <laughs> right. And and so and, which is what? Psalm two all over, right? If 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 there was a God we'd have to break the the, the cords that he binds us with, right? Um and you know, there is none who does good. What does that remind us of? That's a quote, right? From Romans 3, right? Well, really, Romans 3 is quoting this, right? Paul was making his appeal that none are righteous, right out of Psalm 14. And, and of course, um, there there is so much laid up here. Um, so... It, one of the things we have to remember is, you know, in sin we have a heart of stone, right? It's hard and set in its unbelief and unrepentance. We need to pray for the heart of flesh that God has gifted us with, that we take care of it, that we live a repentant life, 
And our prayers for the loss ought to be, Lord, give them a heart of flesh. Right? Remove that heart of stone. So, so, and, and you know what the good news is? Look at verse 2. It says, the Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men. Okay? And it says, to see if there are any who understand or who seek God. You know, when I see this, looks down, comes down in judgment, comes around and he's looking. What is God doing? He's inspecting, right? Um, you know, God is not a God who created the world, unlike some who want to emphasize this, um, who uh, set the, you know, the blind watchmaker, set the world uh, to go and then disconnected himself from it. Uh, but instead, he's a God that's been very interested in us and caring for us, as, um, particularly his elect. Um, but he comes down with um, to inspect, just like he did at the Tower of Babel, right? D- did God did God need to come down to see? No, he knew the hearts of men. He knew where they were. But God comes down to inspect things. Um, this, this is uh, really important if you, if you consider uh, throughout the the, uh, the books of the law when it talks about mixed things, mixed things. God comes down and inspects those, right? Uh, what are and, and when He finds that it is done rightly, He brings blessing. And when He it's done uh, unrighteously, it brings judgment. Uh, this is why um, human sexuality um, inside of marriage is blessed and it is a curse in so many ways outside of marriage. Obviously, there's temporary pleasures, but there are all kinds of uh, terrible problems that arise out of that. Um, and so God comes down, he inspects, he looks sees and to the penitent is merciful to those that um, um, who seek him because it says he says he looks to see if any seek and of course we can't on our own we're undone we can't save ourselves only God can give us that heart of belief to do so because um, you know, we're God's people, we're God's elect, we are no longer in bondage to sin, right? And so we need to put it off, we need to stop going back to it, we need to stop embracing it, and we need to, uh, in some cases, completely cut things out in other places, bring it under um, the disciplines of God himself. Uh, under, you know, as he's empowered us in self-discipline. As, as we go on, it doesn't just leave it there, verse 3, they have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. Um, 
all of mankind. I was thinking about this again this morning. It was it was just contemplating this idea of, um, you know, God sees sees all men, and there's not been one outside of His very own Son um, who is righteous, who did good, or does good, and and. It wasn't like somehow over here God missed somebody. No, in fact, all together. Not only that, as a people, we conspire together against God. And and so God saves us individually, but he saves us also as the, his body together. Right? There's a, a togetherness whether you're with God or against God, or either for Jesus or against Jesus. There is no neutrality. Verse 4, Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call on the Lord? There's this idea here that don't they know that they're corrupted? Now, I will say in course of my life, I have met a few people um, whose consciences were totally seared, like they could not determine that they were, um, that what they were doing was wrong. But, But in most cases, I have found that people know that they're wrongdoers. Even, even when they try to set up their own rules of morality, they don't keep those. Whatever they say their own rules of morality are, they, they, they won't keep those. Um, and why do they do that? Because men love the darkness because the deeds are evil. Right? And so... Uh, my, again, my experience, when I go out there and talk to folks, it's not really a question of whether or not they think that they, they've done wrong. Everyone I've ever talked to, rare exception, they know that they've done wrong. They just have decided that they're going to love their wrongdoing, their imaginary place of being their own God more than they want to submit themselves to God. And it's so interesting that they rage against submitting to God, but, it's, but God is merciful, right? He's merciful.
God's promise to, to not destroy all of man is one that they hold up as their their symbol. Um, you know, in, we, we do know this, man can, can attempt to corrupt the things of God, uh, but he always fails. In, in, in the long run, uh, he will fail. And, and in this, it says, you know, they have no knowledge. You know, and these are the ones that are eating up my people. That's God's people. As they eat bread, right? They are plundering on the oppression of God's people. Now, I want to say this. For you and I, we have experienced some very mild persecutions. And, and actually, sometimes these days, it's our persecutions are coming from other Christians in some some circles. But, you know, you think about our brothers and sisters in Africa, in Asia, in Indonesia. Um, there is real plundering. And the wicked are living off of this. Um, we have to recognize this the reality of what's happening to our brothers and sisters our Christians around the world right now this kind of evil exists and there are those I think you know in our culture here as well who are raging in the same way against God and want to find every way they can uh, to plunder uh, the, the righteous but but we need to, to remember this yes David That's certainly part of it. I think. I think if you look historically, you know, I was lamenting about our, our some of our brothers and sisters of color, right, and, and their culture. Um, you know, there's a guy named Jason Riley who's written a book called "Please Stop Helping Us," right. Um, if you've ever listened, you know, go on YouTube and listen to him talk. Um, you know, he's of the, the same crowd as Thomas Sowell, Walter Williams others um, who recognize that what is supposed to be mercy is in fact um, destructive um, and um, incentivizing uh, sin. So I, I would say that that's certainly part of it as well. Um, I, I want us as we as we look here at uh, verse 5 um, 
It says, There they are in great fear, for God is with the generation of the righteous. In verse 6, You shame the counsel of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Now the first thing I want to say here about this word poor is, is you need to understand um, that in the scriptures, particularly in the Psalms, this word poor has much it has a much more broader uh, perspective than just those without money. It can mean that, but often it's about those who are under affliction. Under affliction. So in, in this context of persecution of God's people, this is those that are under the affliction and subjugation of the wicked. And so um, they, they are attempting to shame the counsel of the poor. But here's the thing. The Lord is their refuge. Right? And, you know, in the middle of, of great turmoil, that's hard to, to, to keep in mind. And this is where we have to say, on the one hand, we see where this, this psalm is talking about the total depravity of man, right? But God has his people, his elect. And those people that belong to him, he is their refuge in spite of what the enemy is doing, in spite of what we see. And, you know, I, I think it's important that we be careful about having pride in our hearts when difficulties come upon us and we say, um, you know, why is God uh, allowing this to happen to me? I mean, that's starting all the way out from the wrong perspective, right? Um, we deserve his judgment, right? We are simply saved by his grace and he gives his people good gifts. At the same time, God will not be mocked. And there are um, judgments that happen, um, and God's people are judged, and the wicked are judged. And sometimes, as peoples, as nations, they can be rolled up together. Were there any who were faithfully living a repentant life before the Lord when God brought judgment on Israel and brought judgment on Judah, and they were exiled? Yes, we know that. We know that God had a refuge for his people. And yet they suffered loss. They suffered um, physically. Their families were torn apart. Um, I, I think part of this is to say for all of us, we need to live a life of humility, clinging to God and his grace. Right? Because there is no other hope. There is no other hope but in the mercies of God. Yes. I'm sorry. That's right. So, so let me let me back up and, and and rephrase the initial question. Why am I the victim in this? OK, 
okay? And that probably has a lot more applicability to what we hear in our culture today, yes? Hey, and, and I agree with that. I think we have to, to, to bear in mind here that uh, in all of this, we are called to submit ourselves to God with a thankful heart in the difficulties. Uh, seeing these challenges, the griefs, the sorrows, the sickness, the death, all of those things, God is glorified in it. Now, we can't, we can't always see and understand. There is that place where we say, Hey, how can I um, confess my, you know, I, I need to confess my sins. We should ask ourselves, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? But regardless of whether I can sort that all out just now, right? Even God, when he spoke to Job, made it very clear that, you know, you weren't there when I created the world. I, I'm God. You can't see how I'm glorified in this, perhaps. But... Um, I'm God, and and we need to be thankful and rest in Him. I, I, and and that's and that's why as His people we're to live that penitent life, that humble life, that God in his mercy, while we were yet sinners, um, before the foundations of the world, the word says, um, he selected us for grace. Yes.
feeds into the, the purposes of our sermon today and so much as um, what God gives us, he gives us good gifts. What he gives us in this service every week is himself. When he gives him, when he gives us himself, there's no greater gift. There's no greater uh, uh, thing that can be done or, or, or that is a blessing to us. So I'm going to read this last verse and then we're going to wrap it up. Jonathan, did you have something? Uh, so the last verse, verse 7, we see, Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord brings back the captivity of his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. You know, in the midst of all things, we can be rest assured that God is faithful to his people. God will bring judgment on the wicked. He will set all things right. And... We can, as his people, rejoice and be glad. And it's not rejoice and be glad because I'm a righteous person. I do this so well, but I can rejoice and be glad because God has been merciful to me. He's been kind to me. He has called me out. And he has called us as a covenant people, our children, because for generations I'll be God to you children and all those that are afar off um, be humble and, and live that life of humility and repentance before the Lord and we can in fact rejoice and be glad any final comments yes sir Our God and our Father, we humbly come before you. We know that we are sinners justly deserving your wrath. We thank you, O Lord, that you have chosen us, not because of our goodness, but simply because of your kindness and your love. Father, we have no choice but to call upon you for salvation, and we thank you for sending your Son to deliver us. Lord, all those in this room with children and family members, oh Lord, but particularly our children, we come before you and say, Lord, we ask that you have mercy upon them. Help them to realize their faith in you. Help them to, to know you so that for your glory, not ours, but, but that our children and grandchildren and all those generations yet to come may call upon your name. Father, we, we again thank you for all you've done for us and ask you to please complete the good work you've begun in us. In Jesus' name, amen.